It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by ANZ Home Loans for financial well-beings. And welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Breakfast, available on iHeartRadio every morning and also on Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcast from. Well, we're halfway through our weekend, a Sunday morning, the 27th day for November for 2022, which is fast evaporating. And coming up, we've got the Sunday Rewind. We look back over the last seven days, some of the opinions, the comments and the predictions, including talking with Adrian Savalas. He's a principal there in Sydney about the real estate principals who help their selling agents with office listings to try and assist them along, and I guess help them long term into selling real estate. And that's against the backdrop compared to principals who decide not to share anything that comes into the office. We're also talking with Chris Sherry, having a look at the latest auction numbers, the bidder numbers, the clearance rates. And we're also talking with Thomas McGlynn with a question of, is there some steadying of the market, some stability being shown around property prices? And we also catch up with HIA economist Tom Divot and talking about the $1 million homes proposed to be built, which is already getting a downgrade potentially and the RBA and the government seem to be a little bit at loggerhead. So all of that and more is coming up on the Sunday Rewind. We talk with leading property commentators with analysis, predictions, forecasts and what's trending every morning from 6.30. It's the main centre forecast with PRD, selling smarter every day. All right, let's head around the country and have a look at your weather situation on this Sunday morning. A little bit of the wet stuff in Sydney, expecting one or two showers with a possible thunderstorm and a high today of 29 degrees. The wet stuff is in Melbourne as well with 19 degrees with a shower or two. In Brisbane, once again, also some showers and a possible storm. 31 degrees is your forecast top. And the place to be on your Sunday morning is Perth, expecting blue skies with sunshine and a high today of 28 degrees. It's your Real Estate Weekend Podcast in Review. And we've heard that agents are saying that up to 70%, it is 70% harder working in the industry right now. How are you sort of gauging that? What's uh, the sentiment among other agents that you're working alongside there? Yeah, so I guess we're in the Uber Uber age at the moment where people won't wait eight minutes for a car to pick them up. Prospective client demands are, uh, you know, quite a little bit more intrusive, whether it's a a call at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning or a 10 o'clock call from a prospective buyer during the week of an evening. So the demands and the pressures of the industry, along with the cost of living rising, commissions coming under scrutiny and it is quite difficult for agents to sustain market share or build a profile at the moment. Yeah, it certainly is, and it's probably not likely to get any easier in the next 6 uh, to 12 months. But uh, let's just have a look at your particular business there, because I understand that you are a pandemic company. So how has that whole process been for you? Because it's an interesting time to start a business, particularly real estate. 
It was an interesting time, middle of 2020, uh, a very uncertain time uh, to be starting a real estate business when the market was in freefall. However, the younger team, we grew from six. Now, the size of our team is about 26. And I guess the thing that we've done to stimulate growth within our company is to be, you know, very generous when, you know, we're onboarding a new agent or and supporting our current team. So rather as principals that will list and sell all of the opportunities that come into the office. It's assisting those team members in building their profiles by helping them in the living room and also providing opportunities. You know, I think that you raise a very good point because there are, and and let's not dance around the issue, there are a lot of selfish principles out there that do not put in the groundwork for new agents. And you put that effort in, it's going to come back to you tenfold anyway. And I think it's very short-sighted with some principles that operate on that basis. You're right. And, you know, that's the reason why a lot of businesses don't grow, you know, or they, they, you know, it's their their undoing. It's very difficult to attract top talent, um, especially the young uh, up and comers, if you're a take principle rather than a give principle. So, you know, being uh, being selfless is, you know, one of the uh, main drivers of uh, our business growth. It's your Real Estate Weekend podcast in review. We keep talking about the sought after family homes. They are really somewhat defined the downturn and leaving buyers a little bit stunned come auction time, the buyers that are missing out, that is. So what are you seeing? Yeah, look, we're certainly seeing that as well. You only have to look in Bellevue Hill on the weekend. Uh, that recently had a, had a guide of $11.8 million. They had, I believe it was six to nine registered buyers on that property and it sold for just shy of $3 million over its expectation. Again, we're seeing this consistently, maybe not significantly as in regards to $3 million plus. However, we are seeing properties, those AT homes that are certainly standing out from the rest of the crowd where it's in a desirable location. Our properties have been sold prior to them wanting to purchase and they're there ready to buy at no matter what cost. And those properties are certainly getting really good competition and achieving well above expectations, whether that's 100,000, 300, 500, or whether it's 3 million in Bellevue Hill. So competition is certainly strong for those properties. And the buyers, there is still some of this underquoting being reported. And buyers, of course, they think they're in with a chance only to discover that they're, they're not. So how much of a problem is that? Look, I think underquoting is always going to be out there and whether you call it underquoting or whether you're saying it's an attractive enough price, unfortunately, as agents and also as auctioneers, you can never determine that a property is going to sell for its exact figure at an auction or in an auction environment. Uh, the property certainly in Bellevue Hill on the, on the week last week, they had no anticipation that it was going to sell for that expectation of $3 million over. So I think it's more about making sure a property isn't attractive to the marketplace And then unfortunately or fortunately for those buyers, if it's a property that's less, more desirable and then less competition, they may get it for a price that they're expecting it to go for. However, as a vendor, you're only going to sell by way of auction because why would you not run an auction to be able to get an expectation of not only a certain figure, but maybe hope and pray that you're going to get a better figure with more competition. The competition certainly works. The underquoting, unfortunately, it's the way people look at it. I think more importantly, you've got to put an attractive enough price on a property to be able to make sure there is interest. Once the interest is there, it just really depends on how much and who wants that property to depend on how much the property is going to go above expectations. 
It's a weekend of real estate. So you mentioned last week that even though the RBA and the government had some friction there, there are tools at the government's disposal to use. That's right. Um, earlier this year, or it may have been last year, there was a, a federal inquiry into into housing affordability, um, colloquially called the Felinski Report. And one of its recommendations, overall, it, it focused very much on the fact that the supply side of the um, housing affordability equation is, is, is really, really important. And one of its recommendations was that the federal government can provide incentives for local and state governments to facilitate more housing construction because in the end it's it's local and state governments that are in control of the uh, planning frameworks that determine whether it's even possible to um, build, say, units and townhouses in an, in an existing suburb rather than just detached houses with big backyards and uh, whether enough land is being released in the uh, new suburbs to facilitate uh, new housing development as well. The problem for a lot of um, local governments is that their incentives are skewed towards local, their existing local residents rather than the potential residents they could get if they built more houses. That's that's just the, the way their, their incentives are set. But in order to address affordability, the federal government could step in um, to, to correct those incentives, not just with um, with something as simple as, as cash grants, but commitments to build infrastructure as well, which could um, alleviate a lot of the congestion concerns that a lot of local residents have with more housing developments. Yeah, and I want to come back to this. It's not really a stoush, but I suppose there's a little bit of a conflict going on between the federal government and the RBA. I think you warned that further rate hikes could see the almost 30,000 home shortfall blowout even more, particularly if the RBA continues to increase the cash rate in 2023. So talk to all of that, because I think that's probably one of the problem areas uh, with the RBA and interest rate rises. That's right. Well, our, our, our forecasts, which we just re- um, released last uh, week, are based on the assumption that the Reserve Bank won't go much higher with interest rates. Um, there seems to be an expectation that there might be one more 0.25% increase in December, but then the, the Reserve Bank will will pause to just to wait out and see what the full effect of their, uh, their hikes will be. Because the thing about this particular cycle is that there are really, really long lags involved between when the interest rates start going up and when we actually actually start to see construction activity on the ground slowing, broader employment growth slowing, and, and, and the inflation figures that the RBA is really focused on actually come back down. So based on what the RBA has already done, we're expecting that the amount of construction activity on the ground will trough in 2024-25. Um, and based on the amount of homes that we're officially forecasting to be built between 2024 and 2028, which coincides with the government's 1 million houses pledge, the government is going to fall about uh, 30,000 houses short in total. And as you said, if the Reserve Bank goes further, that trough in 24-25 will be even deeper and that shortfall will be even greater unless, um, as I mentioned before, the, the, the government steps in with, uh, with some incentives to encourage further housing development and faster land release.
Enjoy your morning coffee. It's your real estate weekend podcast in review. Well, essentially, the contestants are the sellers. I mean, that's the way it looks. That's the way it feels. They're the ones that have been in control in terms of you know what they wanted to do with the property. That's they're the ones setting the expectation. So, if the auctions were just treated a little bit more traditionally, and the contestants were working with their selling agent as if they were the sellers, I think it would make much better TV, and you'd be able to strategize with the auction a lot more and I think you'd see better results. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what you really want for great television is for all of those houses to sell and to sell well. So I did actually feel very sorry for the contestants because a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into the properties and, you know, apart from one, one had a fantastic result and the rest fell flat. One of the things that I just couldn't get my head around was 75% of those auctions, the thought process was to pass it in. And it was, you could see the contestants almost panicking and wanting to quickly ring the auctioneer, pass it in, pass it in. I mean, that's not how an auction should go. I mean, the auction should be triggered at the right time to spark emotional and unexpected bidding. You can't unlock a premium price for a property and engage in emotional bidding unless the property is put on the market at the right time. We were never able to unlock that during the block auctions. And the fact that we were seeing the contestants panic to actually pass it in because they were scared that if it went over reserve, they were only going to walk away with a small amount of prize money. That to me just sounds bizarre and it's just the wrong way to go about it. So I think if they set the reserves, I think you'll see a much better auction result. Now, I'll ask you this because you are the professional, you are doing it week in, week out, and one of the key strategies is when you're talking with the vendor coming up with the reserve price, and you've got vendors that might have a high expectation. You've then got to talk to the vendor, get them in sync with the market of what the true reality is, and of course, it's no good having it too high, so what did you feel? Like, given that this was too high, no question, the reserve was not at a base where you could actually bring in a bit of fervour, a bit of momentum, but that just didn't happen. No, it it didn't happen. And it's really important that I can only speak of experiences when I try and explain to my vendors how to get the best outcome out of their auction. Their reserve just needs to be triggered at the right time during the auction. And the only way to do that is for them to physically see with their own eyes that the auction is starting to slow down or come to a stop. Now, if that happens, that's ultimately the buyer signaling to the seller, hey, we may continue bidding, but we need to be enticed. So that's the signal where the auctioneer should be saying to the sellers, this is the point now where we've got to reignite the momentum, put the property on the market so we can get these buyers to reactively start bidding, or if they've stopped altogether, to re-enter the bidding. So the stalling of an auction is critical to actually make the vendors then understand when the property should be announced on the market to, to create that trampoline effect. You know, it almost has this idea that you could run with two reserves. You could have a reserve for the contestants in terms of how much they walk away with and then the reserve for the house, the property. What do you think about that? 
Well, that's the ultimate way to make sure that the auction has really achieved both sides of the transaction, one for the contestants and one, of course, for the network. So obviously the reserves aren't set by the contestants and we understand why, and that's fair enough. But if we're really going to make this work and make the contestants walk away with a smile on their face, give them that sense of empowerment that they can set their reserve strategically where their selling agent advises them to. So you still keep that traditional aspect of the auction, but of course you've got another reserve price there that the network sets to cover those building and material costs that have gone into, of course, the construction of the property. It's your Real Estate Weekend Podcast in Review. And as I said, that there is this stabilisation that is going on at the moment. Where are you seeing that the most in Sydney? Well, I think obviously the, the clearest way to be able to, to look at things is you firstly look at the end of the market that hasn't had a, a huge amount of transactions over the course of the past six months, and that has been the upper end of the market. And data can be a great thing, but there is always a story behind data. And I think that given there hadn't been a huge amount of transactions in the luxury end of the market, that tended to show that that market had come back a lot more than than others, but it probably wasn't reminiscent of the the actual uh, buyer demand that was there for that type of property. And we've seen a lot more real estate at the upper end transact recently, and there've been some pretty surprising results in terms of a good way. So that's probably where we're seeing the, um, the recovery being led. However, you're starting to see stabilization across all price points and anywhere from, you know, studio and one-bedroom apartments, which are very popular at the moment amongst investors, simply because the rental market's so strong, all the way up to your luxury, luxury family homes. So we're starting to see some green shoots across all ends of the market. Yeah, okay. And the prices steadying. Now, that is going to lead to better clearance rate and presumably across areas like the eastern suburbs, inner west, and maybe the lower north shore. Would that be a fair comment? Yeah, well, if you look at the Sydney clearance rate over the course of the past month, it has by and large been creeping up. A little bit of a blip in recent weeks, but then if you take a magnifying glass and look at the more, I guess, lifestyle markets or the more salubrious markets in Sydney, um, like the ones we just mentioned, the clearance rates have, have been increasing really, really steadily over the course of probably the last month and a half. I think that the one thing you got to look at is that Year on year in October, there was 40% less auctions conducted in Sydney. And that just shows that there there isn't a huge amount of property actually coming to market compared to last year. And we still are seeing strong buyer demand. So that in combination, I think, has really meant that the clearance rates are starting to rise. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast.